Amen. Would you just greet your neighbor as you take your seat? Give him a good high five, a Generation Church quality greeting. It's so good to see you tonight. I am so glad that you made it out here tonight to church. Um, maybe you've been having a tough week, but I think just the fact that you made it here means that you are back on track. Yeah, we're finishing up a great day of church and um, our series, Jesus Drops the Mic, is still going on. It's continuing. This series is really about the big mic drop moments where Jesus said things that were just pretty much mind-boggling. We can even see in scripture, he said some of these things and his own disciples were like, what is he talking about? But it's a mic drop moment. It's when you say something so profound, you just walk away and let people chew on it because there really is no response required. So last week we talked about how Jesus said, take up your cross and deny yourself and follow me. And that is a really difficult, a difficult concept to wrap your mind around. It's kind of intense. And this is an intense series. So if you're new to this church, this is your first week. It's not normally this intense. It's usually intense. But this is kind of extra challenging as we look at some of these things that Jesus said. We're going to look at Mark chapter 10 tonight. If you have a Bible, you can turn there. Just hang out in Mark chapter 10. It says, starting in verse 23, Jesus looked around and said to his disciples, how hard it is for the rich to enter the kingdom of God. This amazed them, but Jesus said again, dear children, it is very hard to enter the kingdom of God. In fact, it is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich person to enter the kingdom of God. I want to call this message an impossible possibility. An impossible possibility if you're taking notes. Have you ever found yourself in a situation where you realize that you have bitten off more than you could chew? Maybe you got yourself in the middle of something that was more than you really bargained for, but it was then too late to back out. You know, this happened to me not that long ago. A friend called me up and asked me to help him move. And that's what you do for friends. I mean, depending, there's really two categories of friends. There are the friends that you help them move. And there are the friends where you know they're moving. And when they call, you just push send to voicemail. <laughs> but I wanted to be a good friend. And this was one of the friends that you do help move. So he asked me to help him move. I'm like, yeah, I can do that. I can spend a few hours helping you move. You know, that's what a good friend does. So I show up at his house and he shall remain nameless. But he showed up with a whole truck full of empty, unassembled cardboard boxes. And he's like, we got to pack this stuff up and get going, man. Thanks for coming. And I'm like, bro, this is not what I signed up for. I'm in the bathroom texting my wife. I need you to set our house on fire in three hours so I have an excuse to leave. Because this is more than I really bargained for. So it was with the young rich man in Mark chapter 10. We're going to read about what happened with him, what set up this situation. It says in verse 17, as Jesus was starting out on his way to Jerusalem, a man came running up to him, knelt down and asked, good teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? So you can see that this guy is sincere. He came running to Jesus. I wish that every week you guys just ran into church because you were so excited to be here. You would run in and you would be elbowing people out of your way. No, I'm just kidding. Don't do that. That's not loving. But I love that he's excited. He's sincere. He kneels down before Jesus, which is a sign of respect. He calls him teacher. What must I do to be saved? I'm on a mission, a mission to find eternal life. Tell me, tell me what to do. I'll do it. I'll do anything. But this kid, he bit off more than he could chew. He's about to have a mic drop. 
moment in his life. And that's the thing with God. When you, when you say stuff to God, when, when you speak to him, when you talk about him, he sees through our words and he can read our hearts. He can read what's actually going on in our, our hearts. So you have to be careful what you say because he can examine your heart. He knows the truth. And because he loves us, he will always lead us to the truth, even if it's kind of painful. In verse 18, it says, why do you call me good, Jesus asked. Only God is truly good. But to answer your question, you know the commandments. You must not murder. You must not commit adultery. You must not steal. You must not testify falsely. You must not cheat anyone. Honor your father and mother. Now, quick question, time out if you're a Christian. Can you save yourself by keeping the commandments? No, you are correct. So what do you think Jesus is doing here? He is setting this kid up. So as I'm reading my you know, Bible, I'm reading this and I'm getting excited like, oh, this is going to be good, right? He's going to make a point at this guy's expense. So I can learn from it. I love that. In verse 20, it says, teacher, the man replied, I've obeyed all these commands since I was young. And you have to read that and laugh, right? Because there has never been a child who has always honored his father and mother. Definitely not me. But it seems that he's sincere there's no indication that he was lying. He doesn't have his fingers crossed behind his back as far as we know. And don't you know that you can be sincere but also be sincerely wrong? This young man, he was delusional, saying, I've kept all these commandments since the time that I was young. And it just shows that he doesn't fully understand the reality here. And Jesus, you know, he kind of feels sympathy for this kid. He kind of has this bless your heart moment. It says that Jesus looking at the man, felt genuine love for him. There's still one thing you haven't done, he told him. Go and sell all your possessions and give the money to the poor and you will have treasure in heaven. Then come follow me. At this, the man's face fell and he went away sad for he had a, a great many possessions. And this is when it gets to the part where Jesus said, it is very hard to enter the kingdom of God. Listen to me, my children. He said, it is very hard for the rich to enter the kingdom of God. He goes on to say, in fact, it is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich person to enter the kingdom of God. And now a lot of us, we read that today and we're like, tell me about it. Rich people are the worst, <laughs> you know, <laughs> preach it, Jesus. But the thing is, this is not the way people thought back then. In the Jewish culture, they believed that your wealth and prosperity was the proof that God loved you. I mean, that's, it's maybe true, kind of, right? But they, they figured like, if you were wealthy, man, that was a sign. That was the evidence that you must have been right with God. And you could afford to go to the temple and offer all the sacrifices in the world. So God must love you. And then here's Jesus saying, easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle. And it blows their mind. Now, maybe you're wondering, well, what does that mean? A camel through the eye of a needle? It means exactly what it sounds like. Camel, humps, animal in the desert, eye of a needle, circle on a needle where the thread goes through. Even a little itty bitty camel not getting through, is it? Right? Now, some people in churches, if you've been a Christian for a while, you might have heard a pastor teach that this means, this phrase, camel through the eye of a needle, that there was a gate in the walls of the city of Jerusalem called the eye of the needle and a camel could get through, but only if it crouched down low and you took all of its luggage off and then it could squeeze through. That's not correct. 
It's not correct. That, that's just a, a, a teaching that kind of popped up around the 15th century. But this phrase, a camel through the eye of a needle, it was a common phrase back then. It was a saying. It was another common saying to say easier to, to get an elephant through the eye of a needle. It meant exactly what it sounds like. You should read that and go, oh, he's saying it's impossible. Impossible, right? Like it's not happening. This is a mic drop moment, and we can see that in verse 26. The disciples were astounded, it says. Then who in the world can be saved, they asked. Jesus looked at them intently and said, Humanly speaking, it is impossible, but not with God. Everything is possible with God. Isn't that true? I mean, aren't there some people here tonight who would say, It doesn't even make sense that I'm here right now. I should be dead. I should be in a jail cell. I should be gone, far from God. But somehow he brought me into his family. He saved me and redeemed me from sin. It doesn't make sense. It seems impossible, but I can testify that with God, everything is possible, right? I mean, come on, we got to give God praise for what he's done in our lives. We know that's true. Last week when we were talking about this first heart saying of Jesus, I asked the question, would you lose your life for Jesus? Maybe that's a question you've never thought about. If you were forced to choose, would you lose your life for Jesus? And many people quickly responded, yes, of course I would. So I want to ask you another question tonight. Would you lose your life savings for Jesus? See, I live in America, and I didn't really think I was going to have to lose my life for Jesus, but you're talking about losing your life savings. Where are you going with this, pastor? Is this going to turn into one of those crazy TV televangelist things where you're... It's a hard question, and this is basically what this young man was faced with. Jesus told him, I've got something for you. I've got, a, I've, got a, I've got a task for you. Go sell all your possessions and give them to the poor. This young man, he came to Jesus. He was sincere. He had good intentions. Tell me, how do I get eternal life? I'll do anything. And Jesus is going to take him on a spiritual self-analysis journey, right? He wants the young man to see for himself that he has some problems. And we know that it's one thing to go up to someone and tell them, you have a problem, It's another thing for them to discover that they have a problem, right? It's much more effective. And that's what God tries to do for us a lot of times. He wants us to see that we need to make a change. So he starts to to prompt him and he starts to, to kind of help walk him through the process. He says, okay, you want to inherit eternal life? Keep the commandments. And in the other gospels that record this story in Matthew and Luke, the young man asks, which ones? which I really like. I just appreciate that. You know, he's like, cut to the chase. I don't have to worry about the ones that aren't important. Jesus says, you know, well, keep the ones that, you know, you kind of read here and and you see, he says, um, don't murder. It's a good, good start. Don't commit adultery. Don't steal. Don't lie. Don't cheat. Um, Don't make, make sure you honor your father and mother. Those are the basic kind of commandments where he starts this guy out. And he's trying to get him to go on this journey of self-analysis because he wanted him to realize what hopefully we all realize when we read scripture, that no one is good. This is what scripture says in the book of Romans. No one is good, not even one, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. There's actually 613 laws in the Old Testament, and of course, nobody could keep them. But then even if you could maybe keep that commandment to the letter of the law, you're like, ah, I never murdered anyone. Jesus magnifies the standard of the Old Testament in the New Testament, doesn't he? 
So he says in the Old Testament, it says, you know, you shouldn't murder. And the New Testament says, if you have anger in your heart towards a brother, it's like you've committed murder. So nobody's off the hook. In the Old Testament, it says, do not commit adultery. In the New Testament, it says, if you look at someone who's not your spouse with lust in your heart, it's like you've committed adultery. So basically, we're all guilty, and God wants us to realize that. Jesus wanted this young man to realize that. So he starts him out with these commandments. But the young man's there, oh yeah, I've kept all those ever since I was young. He was delusional, wasn't he? He was self-deceived. And it is sad when someone is self-deceived, isn't it? When you tell them the truth, you show them the truth, and they refuse to believe it. They're just, no, 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 I can't hear you. That's not, like, remember when you're a little kid, you can, like, lie so much that you start to believe your own lie? Like, did you steal cookies, Ryan? No, I didn't steal cookies. And there's, like, crumbs all over my face. I didn't. I swear. You start to believe your own lie. This kid is self-deceived. I'm a good guy. You are the only one who can free yourself from the trap of self-deception. Once you have the Holy Spirit inside your heart, God has enabled you to see the truth, but you still have to choose to walk in truth. God will open the door. Once you get saved and you accept Jesus, you now have been um, open, your eyes have been opened spiritually to see the truth. God opens the cell door, but you have to choose to walk out of that prison cell. You have to free yourself from the trap of self-deception. It's sad when people get trapped there, right? They're told, you know, man, you have a problem. You have an alcohol problem. Like, no, I don't. No, everyone can see it. Maybe, man, you're selfish. You have a temper problem. No, I don't have a temper problem. You're unteachable. No, I'm not. Yes, you are. No, I'm not. These people, it's so common to meet people that are self-deceived. God wants us to see the truth so we can grow. Now, the first commandments that Jesus listed, if you're paying attention, you'll notice they were the commandments about loving your neighbor, right? Don't steal, don't commit adultery, don't murder. Because those are tangible. They're easier to kind of wrap your minds around. Like, okay, I haven't murdered anyone this week. Uh, but what did Jesus skip over? The first set of the 10 commandments, which were about God in our relationship with God, because that is less tangible. It's a little less difficult to wrap your mind around. Remember the first commandment says, you will have no other gods before me. And that's really the problem that this young man has. And that's the problem that so many people have. But if you have another God in your life before God, you probably don't even realize it. And if you do, you probably don't know what to do about it. So Jesus wants to illustrate that for this young man. And so he gives him this command, go, Sell all your possessions, give it to the poor, tell him what he wins and you'll have eternal life and treasure in heaven. Then come follow me. And here's this guy, right? He, he was honestly looking for the answer. How can I find eternal life? Jesus tells him this crazy thing, go give everything you have away. And I can just hear him. I would do anything for love, but I won't do that. No, I won't do that. He's like, that's not what I signed up for. That's not what I bargained for. His face fell. He was visibly sad and disappointed. He went from tell me to, oh. Like the the disciples recorded it in the scriptures, right? His face fell. He went away sad because he had so much stuff. This rich man, he was not willing to give up his fortune, and so he left Jesus without the only thing that really matters, a relationship with God. 
It says in Mark chapter eight, for what does it profit a man to gain the whole world and forfeit his soul? This is what this young man was dealing with. He came to God with good intentions. How do I receive eternal life? But when faced with a choice, he walked away empty-handed. Even though he thought that by walking away, he got to keep his possessions, he truly left empty-handed, didn't he? So do we actually need to sell everything that we own and give it to the poor to give it away to follow God? Is that actually required? No. Breathe a sigh of relief tonight. That's not required. And it wasn't about the money, was it? Jesus was illustrating a truth through this young man's money because, listen, money reveals the condition of your heart. Money is like the window into your heart. You can fake a lot of stuff with God, but you cannot fake it with your wallet. In Matthew 6, 21, it says, wherever your treasure is, there the desires of your heart will also be. In other words, wherever you spend your money, wherever you send your money, that's what you tend to care about. That's half the reason you even care about your kids because it costs so much. If someone else was paying for them, you'd be like, yeah, go play in the street. That's fine. In the message translation, it says, where, it says, where am I at? There we go. It says, the place where your treasure is, is the place where you will most want to be and end up being. So basically, God tells us that wherever we send our resources, our treasure, our heart will always follow. So Jesus is revealing with this young man, you have an issue. There's a problem in your life. If you want eternal life, You've got to decide, am I truly the God of your life? Am I your master? Am I your only hope? Or is this just some passing fad and interest? Yet for us today as Christians, we still struggle with finances. We struggle to manage our money in a way that honors God. God never demands that we give in order to be saved, does he? It's not required. But God first gave his son, Jesus, so that we could be saved. It was through God's generosity to us that we even have the opportunity to be saved. And by giving, we become more like Jesus Christ, don't we? So we've got to figure this out. We've got to figure out what it looks like to be generous and to give so we can be more like Jesus. That's our goal. So I'm going to talk about three reasons we don't give. As you're taking notes, you can write these down. That way you can go back to them when you're in your life group this week. Three reasons we don't give. First, it's because we don't understand. We've all been ignorant at times about God's ways and his plan and his principles. So sometimes we just don't understand. People come into church, they, they receive, God changes their life, and they're like, this is great. And they don't ever think about, well, how did all this even happen? How did all this come together? You see people maybe passing the offering buckets. We, we stop and we take an offering every Sunday and maybe you've never thought about it. Maybe you're like, what, well, what are people doing? Are they like, is it like a ticket that you're supposed to pay for to come in here? Let me explain it. We know that as Christians, generosity is part of our lives because God has first been generous to us. In the Old Testament times, men and women, they were required to tithe 10% of everything they had to God. And it was a way of saying, God, everything I have is yours. Everything I have comes from you. You're my provider. And they gave to God. They gave their tithes through their local temple. There to, and that was what they were required to do. It was a command. It was not optional. Going into the New Testament, we're now saved by grace. So we don't have to give in order to be saved. 
So some people are like, well, sweet, I don't have to give. But that's not the way it works. Remember, because the New Testament magnifies the standards of the Old Testament in every way. So if people were called to give under the Old Covenant, how much more should we be generous under the New Covenant between God and man, a covenant of grace? When we have been saved by grace through Jesus, should we be less generous than people were under the Old Testament law? That would be crazy. So we are called to give, and Christians give today, both for different reasons. One is because we believe in the mission of God. We believe what God is doing through the local church. Young people are very cause-driven. They're aware of causes and, and they're willing to support things and build wells and stuff like that. But the best cause in the whole world is the cause that Jesus Christ gave his life for. That's the church. The church of Jesus Christ is the cause that God uses to change the world. So we give to further that cause so that more people would be saved. We give as an act of worship to God. It's a way of saying, God, everything I have is yours. I recognize you are my provider and I'm giving to you. We give because tithing, that giving of 10%, it's like an alignment check on our heart. Have you ever gotten an alignment on your vehicle? If it needs an alignment, it starts to pull you off to the side, starts to drift. But every time you tithe, it's realigning your heart towards God. And don't be surprised that when you start to give to God and live generously, don't be surprised if you find yourself starting to love him even more and care about his people even more because your heart follows your treasure, doesn't it? So God calls us to give 10%. It's the first fruits. Proverbs 3, 9 says, honor God with everything you own. Give him the first and the best. That's 10%. Anyone can do that. And I'm so glad that I'm not God. Let me just put that out there for the record. We should all pray that sometimes. God, thank you that I'm not Jesus because I would be a terrible Jesus. If I, if I was God, right, I'd be like, you all keep 10% and I'll take 90%. And you're lucky I even let you come into heaven at all, right? But God is so generous. He wants us to give so that we can learn to be generous like he is. He is a generous God. He calls us to give 10% of every angle that we receive, earn, inherit, because that is what the Bible calls us to do. I met one guy, he was like, I make too much to give 10%. I can't tithe. My tithe would be more than my house payment. That's ridiculous. I'm like, well, we could pray that God lowers your income to a level that you have faith for, you know, if you want. So we don't understand sometimes. Hopefully, hopefully you understand now. Number two, this is the second reason that we don't give. It's because we don't trust God. We struggle to trust him. As long as there have been men and women, they have been struggling to trust God. There's a fear that we all wrestle with that we will not have enough. We fear, man, well, you know, if I give this, that's less for me and I might not have enough to make ends meet. But do you know that God over and over again in his word, he shows us that he provides and he promises that he will provide. In Matthew 6, Jesus said, God feeds the birds of the air. And don't you know that he loves you more than birds? I love that. No offense, animal rights people. You, we love you hippies. But God says he loves you more than birds. So if he takes care of birds, he's going to feed you. Don't be afraid. He's a provider. We can trust him to provide. And we can trust him that he will actually bless us for giving. He will bless us for being generous. 
In fact, in Malachi chapter 3, God was speaking to his people and he says, you've robbed me of tithes and offerings. Last week I said this, that the first 10% of our income is God's and that's true whether we give it to him or not. So some, some of us might have God's 10% sitting in our bank account right now. That's something to think about. But he promises that when we do give, when we bring the tithes and offerings into his storehouse, that's the local church for us today, he says, I will open the windows of heaven and bless you beyond what you can contain. Test me. This is the only place in scripture where God says that we can test him. And he keeps his promise. It says in 2 Corinthians chapter 9, yes, you will be enriched in every way so that you can always be generous. God promises to bless us when we give to him. And it says in Luke that as you give, the measure with which you give will be given to you. So the more generous we are, the more God blesses us. It is just so true. He always keeps his promise. He said, test me. God is not going to let any of us outdo him in generosity, is he? Just last week at church, I, I wish I like would have planned this. It would make me look really smart. But this young guy, he gave a tithe and he posted on Facebook. That's why I saw this. He posted on Facebook, I tithe today for the first time in five years. He said, I got in my car with my wife. She picked up some mail off the seat of my, or the floor of my car. I thought it was junk mail. I was going to throw it away. She started opening it up. And what I thought was junk mail had a check from my escrow account with a refund for $1,500. That's just how God works, right? He says, give and I will give to you. I will bless you beyond what you can imagine. God gave that guy a blessing before he even gave. He sent it in the mail ahead of time so it would be there to encourage him when he was leaving church that day. Isn't that crazy? In this passage, in, in Mark chapter 10 that we're reading, at the end of this passage, Peter is like, Lord, what about us? We gave up everything to follow you. We gave up our homes. We left our families. And Jesus said to Peter, for everything that you give, for everything that you give up when you follow God, you will receive a hundred times in my kingdom to come. That's an amazing investment. If you could guarantee me a hundred times return on my investment, I would give you all of my money right now. Right? This kind of this thing that the old country pastors say, it's kind of cheesy, but it's true. You can't take your riches with you when you die, but you can send them ahead. You can invest them into the kingdom of God and receive an eternal reward. It seems impossible. Humanly speaking, it is. But with God, everything is possible, isn't it? So here's the third reason we don't give. We don't because we won't. Often people will say, well, I would if I could. Hey, Ryan, can you come help me move this weekend? <laughs> I would if I could. But that's not really fully true, is it? I remember when I was younger and I couldn't really do any pull-ups. And I started my army training and they had this thing where you had to do pull-ups when you went into the dining facility to eat and then you had to do pull-ups on your way out. That was so cruel, right? Because I was like this weak, chubby kid that couldn't do pull-ups, but I loved food. It was like a torturous hell I was trapped in. <laughs> like, please feed me. And I would tell people like, I can't do pull-ups. I don't do, I don't do pull-ups. I don't do those, you know, I don't. I would if I could, but that's not true, really. It's not you would if you could, it's you could if you would. You could if you would. See, it's when I actually started to do them one at a time, two at a time, that I would actually develop that ability to do pull-ups. And now I can do over 20 in a row. Not that I'm bragging, it's not about that, okay? <laughs> that's not the point of this. 
But don't say I would if I could, because you could if you would, if you would choose to. You can do it if you will do it. You don't because you won't. Be honest with yourself. And I'm not talking to the person that you, you're not saved. You're like, I, I don't even believe in God. I just came because my mom made me. I'm not talking to the person, this is your second week or your third week at this church. You're like, I'm just checking it out. I'm talking to a very specific type of person right now. You've been saved for a while. This is your church. You've been coming here. You've been learning about what God has for you, but God has not gotten a hold of your finances yet. You've been holding out on that issue. You hear about that topic comes up, money comes up, the offering buckets go by and you're just like, I would do anything for God, but I won't do that. See you later, Pastor Ryan, I'm out. <laughs> Come on, I wanna I'm talking to you, that very specific group of people. What are you doing? Can we just get real for a second? You're not just robbing God of what's his, you're robbing yourself of the blessing that could be yours. You're missing out. I'm trying to help you. You're missing out. But some of us, that fear, that fear that we won't have enough or whatever it is, maybe it's selfishness that grips us so tight, it seems impossible that we could break free from that. But again, everything is possible with God. He will give you the faith to trust him with your finances. If you'll stop deceiving yourself, stop making up every excuse. Well, I can't. Student loans, I would if I could. No, you could if you would. And God would provide and he would bless you and you would be amazed. This encounter in Mark chapter 10, it speaks right to our lives today. Remember, Jesus said, it's especially hard for the rich to enter the kingdom of God. That's because comfort makes us complacent. If you're poor, if you're hurting, if you're broken, well, then you know you need God. You're like, man, what? I don't have anything. I can't help myself. But we, we are the richest and most comfortable people that have ever lived in the history of the world in this country. We have more. We have more safety. Even the poorest person in this room right now is better off than 95% of the world. So we are very wealthy, we are very safe, we are very comfortable. And according to scripture, listen, that means Jesus said it is harder for you to enter the kingdom of God because your own comfort will make you complacent of your need for a savior. When you're hurting, when you're sick, when you're broken, you say, I know I need God. When Jesus says, I want all of you, I want your whole life. Man, if you don't have anything, if you can't help, you're like, take my life. My life is terrible. But if you're living the American dream and you're feeling pretty good and comfortable, that's when you're like, well, I don't know if I need God. You know, what I've got going on isn't that bad. That's why even a lot of us in this room, we didn't give our lives to Christ until we were really hurting or struggling or broken. And if you were able to choose to do that without having to experience that brokenness, then good on you. You learned the easy way. Congratulations. <laughs> But not all of us did because it is hard for the rich to enter the kingdom of God. And I wonder what scripture would look like if it was written today. If this story was written today, would it say about a lot of us that this Christian, he went away sad because he had a great many possessions. God asked him to submit his finances and he went away sad because he had an awesome truck payment that he didn't want to give up. He had a direct TV bill and a great summer vacation planned and giving to God would interfere with those, those plans. And he's saying, you know, well, God, I want eternal life as long as it doesn't mess with this life. What would it say about us? 
Many people would say, I can't give because that would mess with my comfort level. But I want you to know that temporary comfort is no replacement for God's eternal reward. We might be giving up some level of comfort to follow Christ, but it's worth it. His reward is always so much greater than anything we'll give up for him. For many Christians, this struggle to submit our finances to God is a reflection of a greater struggle that we have to submit our whole life to God. It's just one little sliver of it. The finances just show what's going on in our heart. But God, he wants us to give him everything. Jesus calls us to radical submission. So he, he, that's why he says, I want you to have no other gods before me. So he says, submit your whole life to me. It's not half in, half out. He says, I don't want you to be lukewarm. I want you to be on fire. I want you to give me your whole life. So when you're radically submitted to God, you say, God, everything I have is yours. It's easy to give because I recognize that everything is yours. And so radical generosity flows out of radical submission. But because God is so good, we receive a radical reward in response to our radical generosity. He promises to bless us and he does. I think for a lot of us, it might be time to take our next step and to grow in generosity and to experience what God has for us. It's time to prioritize God first in our finances. Not, well, I'm gonna give God the leftovers of what's left. I'm gonna give to him first, the first portion and the best portion. I'm gonna trust him because it's worth it. So I wanna ask you tonight, have you made Jesus the king of your heart? Or are you struggling to submit parts of your life to him? Maybe it's not about money. Maybe for you, it's a sex life. You don't wanna stop sleeping with your boyfriend or girlfriend. She's like, I don't wanna submit my life to Christ because I don't wanna give that up. I like it too much. Maybe you don't wanna leave a position of prestige. Maybe you don't want your life to get messed with in whatever way it is, but are you struggling with that to submit your life to Christ? Well, we don't know what stopped this young man from giving his whole life to Christ. But do you realize that the same three reasons people don't give are the same three reasons that we don't submit our life to Christ? Because one, we don't understand, and the world says, well, there are many ways to God, or be a good person. And you know, basically everyone's good, and you can, you can be saved if you're a good enough person. That's what the world says, but that's not what scripture says. Jesus very clearly said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. He is the only way. And we can't save ourselves no matter how good we are, no matter what we do. We understand that Jesus is the only way. As Peter said, you alone, Lord, have the words of eternal life. Two, we struggle to trust God. We don't trust him, but we have to realize, man, I, I, I can trust him. He said that he would save me when I place my faith in him. Scripture said, anyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. We struggle to trust him because sometimes we're even afraid. Well, if I give up my life, you know, maybe I won't be happy with following Christ. Maybe I don't, I don't wanna have to give that up, but you can trust God when you follow him and, and doing it his way is always better. And then we sometimes we struggle to give our life to him. We, just like we talked about, we don't just because we won't. We just say, you know, well, I, I know, I know the way it is, but I'm not gonna do it. I'm too young, my life is too exciting, I've got too much going for me, I'll do it when I'm older, like when I'm on my deathbed, you know, then, then I'll give my life to Jesus, that'll be a great way to get the best of both worlds. It just doesn't work that way though, because scripture says nobody knows the day or the hour, your life is like a vapor, it's here today, it's gone tomorrow, nobody plans their, their moment of death. 
We don't know when our time is gonna be cut short. So we can't delay, we can't play around with our eternity. We have to choose, it's worth it to submit my life to Christ. Humanly speaking, it is impossible for any of us to submit to Jesus because Bible says that we're hard-hearted, sin has hardened our hearts to God and we would not choose him. That's why Jesus said in John chapter six, no one comes to me unless the father who sent me draws him. So if you're a Christian today, it's only because God's spirit first enabled you to believe. He softened your heart. He pulled you into Jesus. He pulled you to a relationship with God. That's why it says in 1 John 4, he loved us. We love him because he first loved us. Jesus is looking at you. He looks at us and he feels genuine love for you the way that he felt for that young man. He says, I love you and I want to have a relationship with you. And he requires us to give him our whole life. He wants us to submit our hearts to him in every way. And money is just a small part of it. The money is not the point. Our heart is what he wants. The money reveals the condition of our heart. I'm gonna ask you to bow your heads tonight. Maybe you're here and you say, I need to give my life to Jesus. I need to sacrifice whatever it is that's been holding me back. I'm gonna let it go. It's not worth it. I've been trying to do it my own way. I wanna give him my life. I'm gonna give him all of my hopes and my dreams. I know that I've sinned in my heart and I need to be forgiven. You can tonight by simply just calling out to God to save you asking him for forgiveness and believing what he said. Maybe you're here and you need to do that tonight. If you are, I want you to just pray this prayer with me. Say, Jesus, I know that I've sinned. I know that my sin separates me from you, but I believe that you died on a cross so that I could be forgiven and you rose again so that I could experience eternal life. And so I give you all of my life, Lord. I'm following you now. Thank you for loving me first so that I could love you. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. Amen. If you prayed that prayer tonight, we want to celebrate with you. And our prayer team is going to be at the front of the room at their church to pray with you further and answer any questions. But if you prayed that prayer, it is the best decision that you could ever make. Amen. Awesome. Well, tonight we are going to be giving.